episode 18 of Transistor for October 14th, 2012, where topics include trans journey, mom's high heels, translation, pedicures, transitions, foot feminization, yes, you heard it, and transcendent, my interview with the artist D, and transonic, my first foray into foot fetishism, and transmissions, news from around the world. This is Transistor with your host, Velvet Steel. Issues surrounding trans folks. I'm here to talk about them because I know you want to listen, learn, and laugh. journey. High heels. In particular, my mother's high heels. I know we all looked at them as kids. We saw what our parents were wearing. In particular, my mother, what she was wearing. And those shoes were hot. They were high. They were sexy. And they always got my attention. I was like, well, I'm sure many of you maybe have not seen or have seen. In my day, there was a little etching called Kilroy Was Here. And generally what that was, was a set of fingers and a nose and eyes peeking over the top of a fence. And it was one of the biggest forms of graffiti that was all over the world. Well, anyway, that was me peeking over the top of the desk, around the corner of the door while my mom was getting dressed with those high heels. I watched my mother do it from top to bottom. Yes, I watched her put on her panties and her bra and her stockings and her garters, all those different things, do her hair and makeup. And when she was finally dressed, came the shoes, the shoes. Holy shit. My mother had a closet that was full of high heeled shoes. And at that time, I didn't understand about the whole idea of having a big, huge closet that was full of shoes. Well, trust me, I do now. And I've got a closet that's probably full of probably over 100 pairs of shoes. And my new place, I had to have a closet built just for my shoes. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, that was what my mother's closet was like, too. And I would go in there and I would sit amongst her shoes and I would gently fondle and caress those high heels. And I would look at them and I thought, Jesus, Murphy, these are hot, sexy things. I didn't really know it at that time because I was really too young to figure it out. But when my mother put those things on, her walk changed, her gait changed, everything. She walked up straighter, taller, more proud, and literally the whole army edict of shoulders black, back, chest out, stomach in, and look up and chin up. That whole thing happened with my mother when her high heels went on. Wow. My mother had a huge rack. I have to tell you that. And she had great legs, too. And, uh, you know, when she would walk out the door, she was always loud and proud. And she always wore skirts and dresses and even pants that would show off her gams. And my mother had gams. And I remember being young as well, watching my mother with her cousins and her friends. And for some reason, those ladies, when they got a little bit liquored up, they got a little crazy. I remember there was, well, it kind of happened every time they were together. They would always be up on the coffee table doing con-con, you know, literally lifting up their skirts, da-la-la-la-la, you know, that kind of thing. You know where I'm going with this. Showing their legs and doing comparisons and talking about their varicose veins and the whole thing as they were pouring the wine and the wine was free-flowing and everything else. I thought it was the best things and sliced bread. Uh, I didn't think nothing negative of it because, uh, you know, that was what I thought normal families did. Turns out that my family wasn't necessarily the most normal, whatever normal is once again. But uh, yeah, they were always doing this leg comparison thing and having drinks and pouring more and getting liquored up and fun stuff. And I loved it. I loved it to the point where I was always in that closet. And there were times when... Um, well, I would have to go and put on mom's clothes and parade around and just be like the perfect little girl walking around in those heels. And literally, my feet did not fill out those shoes. Uh, I had about three inches behind my heel that before the end of the shoe happened, I'd be walking around literally like what you would see with little girls in their hats on parading around that room. Only I was a little boy and I was walking around with that and doing fun, fun, fun things and having a great, great, great time until one day I got caught. Whoa, did I ever get the backhand across my ass? And uh, I couldn't figure out what I'd done wrong. But um, 
even still, I kept on doing it, kept on having a good old time. One of the things that I always had a problem with was falling forward. I mean, those heels were pretty damn high. At least they were at that time. And by comparison to the shoes that I have now, they weren't so high. I thought they were. I mean, you know, we're talking about someone myself having shoes that are probably nine inch heels in height. And, uh, you know, really those aren't shoes that are made for walking around too much. They're more shoes that are made for sitting down, looking good, or as most people say, bedroom shoes. And that falling forward issue, I don't fall forward anymore. Translation. The art of the past. Pedicures. Well, if we've got everything looking good from top to bottom, and that includes your hair, your makeup, your nails... I still want to touch on the whole idea of pedicures because, well, it kind of fits with what I'm talking about today, doesn't it? Your feet. They're not necessarily the most attractive of things, but uh, when you realize that you can go and get your foot taken care of and you can get all that crud on the bottom of your foot taken off and you can get your nails painted and sculpted and massaged and everything else, well, hell, I'm in. And uh, I had no idea what a pedicure was all about. And being, well, a hairstylist as well, who's in the image and beauty industry, um, I had never actually gone for a pedicure first for a long time. And uh, my first time was, well, it was like buying my first porno magazine. You know, when you buy your first porn, you stick it in between the magazines and you hope that the counter guy isn't going to see what that magazine's all about. Well, they always do. They always peel off the layers of all the other magazines that are on the top there. And then suddenly there's the porn magazine and they're holding it up high and proud in that store and ringing in the price of that. And it's the same thing going into a nail salon, getting your first pedicure done or a beauty spa or wherever you're going. You feel singled out. And for someone who's never had anything done with my feet, well, I can tell you, my first time was exciting. First you get in there, you're sitting down, and then they start the soak. They want you to soak your feet. And, um... Oh my God, putting my foot in a tub, in a foreign tub, not at home, was so bizarre and so different. And the whole idea of having someone deal with your foot, and another show that I want to talk about down the road that goes on with it, is the whole idea of attention to a foot-binding practice that was done in China. Wow. So it goes back quite a ways for giving attention to the feet. And uh, here I am in a store with Asians, mind you, dealing with my feet and having them soak and well, first the one foot comes out of that tub and then it's on top of that pedestal there and it's up on a pedestal and it's being looked at and it's being admired and it's being attended to, attended to my dirty, big ass, ugly feet that I thought were ugly and but whatever. So here I've got this little Asian woman who's gently massaging and she's looking at it and then she starts the whole business of scraping and trimming back my toenails. She's getting in and underneath those toenails and of course what's coming out is making me feel pretty damn embarrassed. It's like, why am I not keeping these clean at home? Ooh. Anyways, she does all that stuff. She gets on to clipping and filing those toenails. She buffs them up nice and beautiful, feels good. And then she starts to scrape off the dead skin, the dead skin on the bottom. Ew. I didn't know that I could have so much. And it was pretty interesting seeing how she was doing it because what she did at that time and I've since learned differently that they do different ways of doing it, they put on a blade on this device that actually scrapes off layers of your skin. All I could think about was getting cut. Oh my God, it's like a scalpel, car you know, carving its way across the bottom of your foot. But in actual fact, what it's taking off is all those layers of cracked and callous skin and revealing beautiful, smooth, lovely feet. And it feels good. Trust me, it really feels good. And it's not just that that they use. They also get out the buffing board, which is actually really coarse like sandpaper and scrape and scrub and have fun with that. And it feels good. Oh my God, does it ever feel good. And guess what, guys? You can get them too, because you know what? When you're in control of everything that's going on, you're feeling good about your sexuality. Who cares? Get your foot done. Have some beautiful woman to touch, you know, touch and attend to your feet. What's wrong with that? You know, once everything else is done and massage and all that dead skin is scraped off, there it comes the massage. 
the massage of a lifetime. They start from your toes and they work between your toes and they take their fingers and they work their way underneath your foot towards the back of your foot to your heel. But before they get there, they're going over the ball of your foot and they're rubbing over there with their thumbs and they're digging in nice and deep and grabbing your foot with both hands and mm, moving their hands up and down your foot, back and forth. Slowly as their hands come around the back of your foot over that heel, they come around to those ankles and they start massaging up your leg. Oh, and now you're in la la land enjoying all this stuff. And then suddenly you snap out of reality and realize, Jesus, I got a lot of leg hair down there. Why didn't I get rid of that? <laughs> Ew. Okay. Note to myself, get rid of that before you come in. And then once that's all done, you get to choose a color. Of course, guys, you might not want to do that, but that's not to say that a lot of the guys that I know these days are not out there getting toenail color on and walking around loud and proud, just like anybody else. And hey, why not? What's wrong with a bright blue or a shocking red or a hot pink or even a green on your toes? It looks fun and it's cute and I like it. Transitions. Cosmetic surgical procedures. Foot feminization. I said it, foot feminization. It does happen, and there's a lot of people getting it done these days. It seems to be a big, huge market. Of course, many of it, or most of it, starting off in New York City. Um, it seems that they do a lot of different things in New York City in particular. That one seems to be one that when I was first finding out about foot feminization surgeries, as well as revisions to your foot so that you could wear high heels for a longer period of time, this is something the women were doing. And of course, it's transitioned or crossed over into the trans world. And like, you know, for the whole idea of wearing high heels for a longer period of time, women know how much that hurts after a certain period of time. And it starts with the ball of your foot right up into the heel. And, uh, you know, the thing that they're doing with that is their plantar fat pad augmentation for high-heeled shoes. And it's literally that. It's augmenting the pads on your feet so that it actually feels a little bit more cushy so you're not actually hurting yourself and walking on your bone. And trust me, when you have cracked a bone in your foot, um, chances are it's going to happen for the rest of your life. And it hurts like a motherfucker. Trust me, uh, on my right foot, I end up with fractures around my big toe quite often from the heels that I wear. And do I stop wearing the heels that I like to wear? Not a chance. I like wearing those bitches and they feel good. And even when my foot starts to burn and hurt, I still keep on wearing those shoes for hours, hours and hours and hours on end. And I love it. I just, I can't get enough of wearing high heels. They're sexy. They make the look, foot look good. The leg look good. The whole look from top to bottom, you know, and if we want to go further into this whole thing, there are many sites on the internet you guys can look at in terms of what can be done to your feet. And here's just a list of a few of them. Advanced modified mini tightrope bunion surgery. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Bunion surgery, getting rid of all those different calluses and bunions on the foot. There's even something so you can get your toes to fit into your shoes, and that's toe shortening, aesthetic toe shortening, because a lot of people like to wear those pointed toe shoes that we see on the runways of Paris so often, and that is exactly what it's doing. It's shortening down the bones on the smallest foot so you can actually get that long pointed toe. Trust me, in my uh, adolescent years, I found myself wearing a lot of pointy-toe shoes, and my feet actually now go that way. Well, my second toe is actually just the same length of my big toe, and actually when they crunch in together, they form a perfect point. We've even got toe lengthening. Yes, I'm sure some of you have had heard about that too. Toe lengthening, exactly that. Where there is a pin put through the toe and it's actually stretched. In China, for the girls who feel they're too short, they're actually doing that with the legs and the bones. So they actually get the leg to grow longer. Stretching the muscles in behind and around the legs, supporting in through the thigh and through the calf. Yes, it hurts. It does hurt. There's also aesthetic toe debulking, the toe tuck. You have the aesthetic hammer toe correction. You have the aesthetic fifth toe correction, the fifth toe correction, meaning you get them to look beautiful. So you can actually get your toenails painted and look good on the beach. <laughs> We're going to some great lengths, aren't we? Now, one thing that we think about Botox generally for the face, well, no, we're doing Botox injections for excessive foot sweating. Mm-hmm. Excessive foot sweating. 
My feet don't sweat, but um, I never had a problem with that. But I can understand people who do. And one of the other ones that we're doing is sclerotherapy for varicose and spider veins, which is an injection of saline solution into the vein, causing it to collapse. And it uh, actually takes the color away right away of uh, that purpley blue vein that's on your leg. And another thing I want to throw in there, laser therapy for those veins as well. Check it out. It's stuff that they're doing if you want to go th- Transcendent. My interview with the artist D. Listen in, it's insightful. So, thank you once again. Here we are, and you're all the way from Las Vegas, and I believe it's pretty sunny down there, and everything's beautiful and gorgeous down there, along with you being beautiful and gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, of course, we're in Vancouver where it's nice and wet and rainy, but that's par for the course for, you know, moldy green Vancouver. <laughs> no, I love it here. Just don't kid yourself. I really love it here. But um, so, knowing the little bit about, that, about you that I do, and as the more I get to know you, the more I like and appreciate. And, um, you know, I know as an artist that you can present in different ways and do different things and stuff like that. And, you know, the public seems to be a lot more accepting of artists on the whole in regards to how they present themselves to the public and just attitudes in general. And I know with myself, I've dealt with a lot of them in the past, whether, you know, through different mediums and stuff like that. And some of them can be really temperamental and and quite frankly, jerks and assholes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're not that way. But... um, You know, for, for the listeners out there, can you tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, why the artist D? Like, where did that come from and what kind of an artist are you? Well, I am the artist D. I consider myself an underground writer, broadcaster, artist as far as uh, visually as well, painter. Um, I'd like to think I open to the reality that mm-hmm. is hidden by mainstream. Um, I pretty much do everything i mean uh, there's well not much not many mediums that i don't dabble in i started out as a painter um kind of like as a kid teenager uh, just trying to express myself desperately in in a small crusty town (laughs) and and one thing led to another that i I found my outlet online uh and all these accepting people and, and i online the internet really grew me to be who i am today Awesome. And one thing led to another. What was I going to say? Are you familiar with the term lowbrow? Yes. Would you consider yourself to be somewhat of an internet lowbrow style artist? Or, um... Yeah, yeah that, that sounds like it may fit me. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I'm very, very much underground, lowbrow. I, I'm, I'm there, yeah. I um, I have a friend here in Vancouver as well, Marcus Rogers, and he did a, um, who also happens to be playing around with gender issues and things like that too, and someone that I'm hoping to have on the show in future. But um, he, she has done, and we're going to get into this he, she thing a bit later on in, in my questions and stuff for you as well, yeah. did a, a documentary on the, it's called The Lowdown on Lowbrow. And um, it, when I think about it, you know, all these underground artists who are presenting this stuff are really making a big impact on the way look, people look at the world of art these days. You know, you don't have to be like Picasso or any of these other big people because, I mean, I guess art is very subject and it, it works well for everybody's different styles and tastes and things like that. And, you know, as as a artist who pushes the boundaries, do you find it easier to present yourself in that realm or more difficult or how do you do it? And then I want to get into like, you know, the whole he, she thing with you. Yeah. I think it's much easier. And, and maybe that's why I was so attracted to art, although I, I was always attracted to surrealism and, and that, but maybe it was because I grew up in a culture that told me that I had to be uh, qualified to do something mm-hmm. and you don't have to be qualified to do art no, and, and I maybe that's why I, I ended up with the name artist D was uh, I was just D for so long um, I don't know why that letter just kind of stuck and went with it but then because people cannot much like labels and much like transgender and 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 genders they can't seem to name me just a letter so I had to be oh it's the artist D it's not just D it's the artist D mm-hmm. so that's how that kind of came about but I just kind of stuck to it because it was something that I was qualified for and good at without having to go to school, go to college and get, you know, bopped on the head with a magic wand and someone saying, yes, you can do this. I could do this from birth. 
I like how you're validating that. I mean, because another gentleman that I know here in Vancouver as well, who used to be conductor of symphony orchestras, uh, not only for Saskatoon, but for Newfoundland and for um, Miami, Florida, he said to me that um, one of the things that he was told by a lot of the university circuit individuals was don't get accreditation. Don't go get your degree on orchestra conducting because that would take it away from it and then he'd be pigeonholed and all these different things. Do you feel that by not having, you know, how shall we say, education or documentation afterwards that you're not pigeonholed? I mean, are, are you freer? How does that work for you? I'm probably freer. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the few things that people take as, uh, as okay, you know, that you don't have to be accredited to do art or paint. It's just something that happens. And, and I, even I get kind of pigeonhole-ish with other people when I ask them, how did you, you know, become who you are? And they say, oh, I went to school for it. Like, well, how do you go to school to learn how to paint? Did, didn't it, you know, didn't some of it come with you, come in into you? And, and just like music, it, it should be the same. You mm-hmm. can go to school to hone your school mm-hmm. skills, but not not where they come from. Exactly. So, I mean, so you have quite a bit of freedom then, you know, from what I'm hearing to do what you want to do and present how you want to do. And now, are, are you well perceived by people? Do you have a lot of acceptance or do you come up against a lot of different things in regards to negativity? I, I really have been fortunate in that I don't come in, term, in, in touch with a lot of negativity, a lot of bad attitudes. Um, even when I was starting, because I started on the internet I was about 13 years old, mm-hmm. and I don't know who knew that. That's but, young. That's young. Yeah, that is young. <laughs> so that was and, what, like, like uh, five years ago? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. Yeah, it was like almost 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I kind of hid. I mean, back then, you didn't need pictures and, and profiles and all that. You could just be the mysterious mm-hmm. poet online. And that's kind of, I started writing more than, than art or painting. And uh, people just kind of accepted me and went with it. And, and I saw all of my peers, more of the 20-year-olds the who were doing their personal websites and being these cam whore artists and, and beautiful creatures. And I looked up to them, but I was terrified to talk to them. And then on the other side of that, you know, 20 years later, when I started doing my show um, and everything, it just kind of came together and I started talking to these people and they're like, yeah, well, we knew you, but we were afraid to talk to you. Wow. It's like, oh, everybody was afraid to talk to each other. So uh, by my peers, I never got any negative feedback. They were nothing but supportive. And, and also the people that I come in contact with, I have very little negative remarks. And even as wow. I grow now in the numbers, I just don't experience that. And when I hear other people's horror stories, I think, wow, I'm, I must be lucky or, or either oblivious. I could be completely oblivious. Well, I was going to say, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of haters out there, especially on the internet too. And I've certainly come across my fair share of them. And they're, you know, quite frankly, assholes. And they'll do anything they can to screw you up or screw you around. And, and, you and know. I have been very careful because at, at least at first, because I was terrified of getting that because I, I was very connected with my persona and I didn't want to be, have my feelings hurt. So like YouTube and all that, I turned off all the comments, you know, a lot of things where I could have got into that negative area. I already knew it was going to be a bad experience. So I just avoided it. Absolutely. I mean, I do the same thing on YouTube as well, but sometimes I like to hear the comments and just see where they're coming from just for, you know, shits and giggles and just to see what it's all about. But yeah, there's a lot of, you said one thing that I really, really like about the whole idea of the internet in its early stages. And one of them being the mystery and the privacy. I mean, for me, I think the internet has gotten almost too on a platter for everybody to pick at. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and there's no privacy, there's no more mystery anymore. And, um, in in your community about yourself, I mean, are you very private in your community, in your public life? Um, I mean, you certainly have a, a, an aura and a mystery on the internet still, I think too. So (laughs) I am very private and, and it's because that, and and in the community, especially, I I don't really mind if the internet and, and the world who knows the artist D mm-hmm. knows my private life more so than if the private life knows the artist D just because, uh, you know, it's, it's a normal world that I happen to live in, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I go do the day job and, and schlep like everybody else to make the money. Right. And, and it's, it's a, a level where I'm not sure how it would be perceived, but I know that it would be perceived 
rockily. It would not be that great. So you're fairly, how shall we say, fluid in, in the gender aspect in terms of presentation. Do you dress as a female in public when you're doing your day job? What, what do you, you're obviously very, how shall we say, androgynous. Very androgynous and very fluid. Fluid is, is a great term for me. Um, I do dress as a male. I, I am mostly a male in mm-hmm. my private normal life. Um, the dressing as a female slowly has become my art, completely, solely my art, as far as my, my image goes. And it is the artist D. Um, at, at one point, it was where I wanted to go with my life and, and my, my personal life. Right. I wanted to become right. a woman. I wanted to transition. Um, for me, and it's, it's a personal thing for everybody, but for me, I just decided that, that I did not feel that way as strongly the older I got. Right. And, and it just was not something I wanted to pursue. And, and I kind of fell in love with both. I, fall, I, I love the woman of me and I love the man of me. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't even consider you to be a cross-dresser. I mean, you know, not yeah. at all. I mean, you know, for me, when I talk to a lot of cross-dressers as well, their whole thing is just like it's their, it's their other self. Right. Right. Uh, But they seem to go through a ritual to get to that other self. And then that other self is a very um, shortened period in terms of presentation out there in the public. I don't get that impression with you. Um, I I get that it's this is this is you're you're out there doing your day job. And then when you're home, you are the artist. That's always still there. That's always in the background. Do you agree? Yes. Absolutely. The personality that you get now, I think, is the same personality everyone gets. The mm-hmm. only thing that changes are the clothes. Awesome. I, yeah, because, I mean, it, it, it's people got to look past the exterior into the mind and see what's going on there. Because if it's the same, I mean, I had people when I was going through my transition saying, oh, my God, you're going to change, you're going to change, you're going to change. And I asked, well, what part do you think is going to change? And then, well, your brain, your thinking... Um, uh, no, my thinking has always been this way. Have you known it to be any different? Do you see it being any different? Well, no. And then, well, then where do you get off with this new thing? I mean, that's your own insecurity. Suddenly you're forcing on me. So, I mean, I mean, I guess going, you know, in terms of people looking at you and stuff like that, I mean, your appearance is very striking. Um, and I'm going to go down this road because, you know, we all want to know. It's like the Inquirer, (laughs) right? You know, I just picked up the Inquirer. They did like, who's had what done, who hasn't and who should, you know? And it's like, have you had anything done or are you just blessed with good genes? What's the deal? Uh, As much as it, it makes me feel bad to say I've been blessed with good genes. I have had nothing done. Biatch. (laughs) and i say that in a loving manner you know and people ask it's like and i start bringing the rundown of the the the, the dollar figures here so what's i i shouldn't say i've had a lot done you know but i've only had my nose done five times so that was interesting but that's the only thing on my face really that i've had done so you're lucky and And, and nobody believes that they don't believe that they think well your cheekbones you're this it's that it's like when they hear where i'm from in the world it's like oh well, that would kind of make sense, you being Danish, you know, high cheekbones and structured jaw and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but, but nobody believes with me either. That, and, and I think it's because I started so young as, as far as presenting myself. And what they're seeing that they think is plastic surgery is just me growing up. Absolutely. What, and, what it, and, then, and I lost so much weight right around my early 20s. And then it's just all, I mean, that changed me. Then getting older has changed me. And, and people have even compared, like, an older or a younger 18-year-old um, picture of me and said, you have to have had your nose done, you, at least your nose. <laughs> yeah. It's like people don't realize that there are five stages in life in the growth stage of the human body that we all go through. Number one, from our being a, a, a child, a baby, and then you grow, and then you start to grow into your little, you know, fatty deposits and everything else. And then we, as we're growing before we hit puberty, so that's the second stage, and then puberty is the third stage. And then, of course, as we come into adult life, that's the fourth. And then the fifth happens to be our aging process, you know, so it's a gradual kind of thing. And, and it makes me laugh when people suddenly say, oh, well, how, you must have something to get rid of all that fat. No, this is just me. Just, you know, I mean, I remember when I was growing up sitting in the back of the car through my pubic years and, um, you know, amongst all the other things that were running through my mind and my body, I, my legs grew in two months. I went from you know, below five feet to six foot two in two months. I had growing pains so bad. I had to get out of the back of the car and, you know, freak out. It was like, uh, it was unreal. Um, You know, but I mean, yeah, you're so, you're so fortunate. I mean, what is your background? I mean, ethnically speaking. 
Uh, ethnically, I, I am German uh, and Polish, mm -hmm. and uh, born in Pennsylvania um, to basically people who have lived there forever. But um, my roots are back to the 1800s in Germany. Um, mostly, and I think I pick up a, a lot of the German genes, although thankfully to my mother's Polish side, I am taller, and I think that is where I get my aging genes, because I still look very good, even from this age, and I think I will continue to look very good. Well, you, you've got a really good look going on, I can tell you that from, you know, the times that I've creeped your page, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and you certainly didn't get the little the little chubby German gene, but anyway, exactly. <laughs> you've got the striking features of the but, facial and, and everything. Was, it was very hard to get rid of that chubby German gene, but I got rid of it. Awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, even through my travels through Germany, too, and you see the different differentiation between the northern parts and the southern parts, and really there is a big difference between, you know, areas of the world where people how people develop and of course if we look at different races for example from asian to caucasian to black and and indian it's like there are real distinct differences and you know people seem to forget that yeah, um, yeah my um my my i think nature and 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 skin and, and heights from my mother but my father's side all very short and fat and, and I'm so glad that I didn't get that part of it. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I do love, I mean, like yourself, I just love the tallness. I, I just love being tall and striking and Amazonian. Did you did you find that difficult to deal with? Because I know for myself there were there was a period there where I thought to myself, um, gee, I wish I had never have gotten this tall. And I remember my grandfather saying to me, "Tall is good." My grandfather always said that to me. And I never understood it until later on in life. But like I said, there was a period where I hated it. And I actually looked on the internet and um, other places around the world before the internet was actually popular about having my height reduced. Mm -hmm. I know as crazy as that sounds, but uh, it took me a while. What about you? Never had a problem. And it kind of leads back to the, the feedback mm -hmm. um, question earlier. I think the only, if we can call it negative or at least very um, aggressive judgmental comments to me are from other transgender people really and and that's where i come that's the only time that i had an issue with my height and actually i didn't have the issue they had the issue do you think that's height. an issue of jealousy i think it, it may be because when i was getting started in this on this path because i kind of went from drag queen to transgender person right and and that was a hard transition for the transgender people to take as well mm -hmm. it's like well Drag but that's a natural it? progression. Sorry to jump in there, but it's such a natural progression for a lot of transgendered individuals. You know, they are doing it's like embracing, presenting themselves as a performer and then, you know, one step further into reality. Exactly. And and they kept judging me on that level. And, and that was what I always got was, well, you were so tall. And that's a problem. And then but my mother is very tall. Mm -hmm. So I had a female comparison in my life to say, well, but women are tall. And that's no problem. If I look like a woman and I pass like a woman, tall should not be an issue. But I got a lot of that. Same with the hormones. You know, they said, please take take the hormones. When I was like 16, 17, it was all about you've got to get on hormones immediately. By the time you're 30, you're going to be hideous. And did well, you? Here I, I did not. I've never taken hormones. And here I am at 30 and I'm not hideous. And I'm still tall and I still look like a woman. So... Well, I, and my, my other question is as well, because, I mean, in, in my circumstance, uh, counseling and all these other different things for hormone use was not readily available, uh, partly because of the community that I was living up in, growing up in. And, uh, you know, it was like, well, that's not what little boys did and trying to find a counselor right. who would deal with it. And plus also having a headstrong mother who just, well, that's not my family kind of stuff. Right. Um, uh, who suggested that you take hormones? Uh, the people online that, that I was, you know, talking to, and, and they were kind of my counselors. The Internet has been my counselor from, you know, high school between bullying and, and being gay or, or being queer to being transgender or drag queen. It, they've been there for me. I've always found an outlet on the Internet. And when I started looking into transgender and seeing that that's where I related to most, especially mm -hmm. as a teenager. I mean, I was so driven in that direction that I talked to a lot of people and that's who suggested immediately getting on hormones, but they didn't really ever tell me how or, or what, you know, to do. <laughs> they just said to do <laughs> it right. Here you go. Thank and you. What, <laughs> and yeah. 
that's very helpful. Thank you and for helping on, me. <laughs> that's why now on my show, when I do have a transgender person on, I ask them, how did you get on hormones and, and did you do it legally? Because back in my day, that was a very illegal thing to do. Right. From the people I talked to, they, they did not go see doctors. They just found them somewhere and started taking them. That's that. I mean, that I was going to say hilarious, but so pathetic at the same time, because for me, um, you know, when I was doing my hormone stuff, I thought I totally did it the legal way. And I actually found a doctor who was actually really cool with it and counselor. And uh, they were very open minded and very progressive. And I do hear a lot, and I have come across a lot of individuals who said to me, well, I buy them offline, you know, I'm like, well, you're self-administering? That's, you know, you need to have some sort of guidance. I really believe that. Not safe at all. You know, I want to go back to something that you said as well, and and this is going back to the whole issue of labels, and you brought up the issue of gay. Um, I mean, I... I, for all intents and purposes, I do hate the use of labels, but I understand that we need to use them for, you know, a certain individual or class of people out there that just, you know, work with them and like to use them. And it's not a bad thing in, in that perspective. I mean, if it's up to me, I mean, the heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual terms, I would just get rid of the pretext and just use the word sexual. I don't care. Exactly. I mean, in, in Denmark, when people say, well, are you, are you gay? Well, they don't even ask you that. They say, are you to men or are you to women or are you to both? Ah. That's what they say. And, of course, this is all spoken in Danish, right? There's no thing, are, are, you, are you a fag? Are you this? Are you that? Right? They don't ever say that. And, um, and I, I've, I've really liked that, and I've tried to bring that over to English. But um, how, how do you label yourself if you have to? Can we ask well, you that one? You can. And, and I, I agree with you that, you know, I think labels are necessary to get us to know labels mm-hmm. with, with the normal populace. That they need to hear... They need to know what it is first to get over it, I think, because mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how we did. But for myself, I think I'm, I'm much, uh, pretty much the label is a transgender artist, queer punk right. is cur- my current label. And I've had many labels and I, I think it, it helps educate people, you know, to go there and, and explain it. But at the same time, I'm totally with you with I just there is no labels. It's all so flowing and and from what i'm finding is that there's just so many people are so many things mm-hmm. that it, it hardly matters they and that's totally why totally. that's why i like i like the label queer and i found that people are more using queer these days for their sexuality and because it kind of fits it's just you're well, here not, it, not, it, yeah it, I remember our previous conversation on your show as well, um, when we were talking about the word queer as well. I've really embraced it, and I love it, because it encompasses, as you said, so many different peoples under that umbrella term. Um, you know, you can be gay, straight, bi, lesbian, trans, whatever, and everybody's, you know, happy being queer. I mean, I consider myself to be queer. Um, you know, and it makes it easier, and it makes it, you know, like... For me, more fluid. And, of course, one of the things that people, too, ask me, and this is going to sort of segue into my next question with you, is that what it is you like. And I said, well, I generally like a full buffet table. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like to sample from all sides. If there's a dish over there that looks interesting, well, you trust to sure, I'm going to be there sticking my fork in and going, mmm, <laughs> you know? And if I didn't like it, well, it's like, yeah, I tried it, but I'm not going to go back for that one, you know? Exactly. So, That's I mean, why we should not have any fear. I think if people didn't have any fear to just try it. Exactly. Like, just because you're a man and you sleep with another man does not make you gay. No. Did you you, you enjoy it? You know, that's the next question. And if they didn't, then, okay, then you just tried it. It doesn't make you gay. You tried it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so are people curious about your sex practices? And so if they are, how do you approach that? So, so curious. And and I think it's it's my own fault, really. At least I think so, because that's where I came from. I was, am a very sexual being, mm-hmm. especially as the artist D. I was always very sexual, especially in the early years. And I was, as as you know, and, and your listeners will soon know, I was a dominatrix for a very little bit of time yeah. um, in Phoenix, Arizona. So I, I did incorporate, and I think that's where the dominatrix came from. It was like the the vomiting of the artist D into the sexual role because <laughs> I so like much... vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much sexuality within me at that time. I had to explore that role and I couldn't really do it fully with the artist D. So I went on to the mistress route and then that led to this very interesting career. But it, it, it just, 
because of that and because of my openness with everything, people always ask. But I think more so, I hard, these days, I hardly have to talk about it because they just, it's much like my nose, they just assume that I've had plastic surgery and that I'm an extremely sexual creature. Assumptions. And, Everybody's and, got assumptions. And they make up the, their own story. And all I have to do is smile and nod or, or just smirk. And they think, oh, yep, yep, I'm right. I'm right. You're, you're sexual. You love me. You, you know, you do this and do that. And as long as, I mean, it's not affecting me personally. So I don't really correct them because um, I am so fluid that it's like, you know, if they're suggesting something I haven't done, I'm thinking, well, you know, I can't say I haven't. I, I won't try it. I would try it. <laughs> and I and I bet by you saying that that probably gets them thinking. Really, I, I was kind of make trying to make a dig there, and you're going with this, you know? I mean, because that, that happens to me a lot too. I'm going to say, oh, well, you've had me done this. Well, actually, yeah, I tried it. It was really quite exciting. And you know what? When we did that, we did. And they're like, okay, we don't need to go down that road. It's like, well, you asked and you said it, and you thought you were going to be a smart ass with me, and you're not. <laughs> the only thing that's that's like completely uncomfortable is when they straightforward with the comments of baby i'm still waiting for that kiss i mean uh, come down here and kiss me it's just it's an invitation (laughs) (laughs) yeah that invitation just doesn't go in that direction when we're talking about what i would do personally or what i'm interested in no problem whatsoever but when it gets to that direction of oh okay so you're interested in this well give me a call and let's have sex like no yeah, I, you know what? I, obviously, I mean, it's interesting when I believe, and I'm, I'm sure you get this as well, as an individual that puts yourself out there as a sexual being, and I'm not going to say put yourself out there in a conscious manner. It's you, you're just out there being who you are, right? Yeah. yeah and, totally. and it comes across your path that way. And people think that because you're a certain way or you act a certain way, that's very fluid and very natural to you that you are putting it out there in a, in a manner that they can approach it in a negative sense and just be in your face about it. Um, that well, must happen to you quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. And then we, we both have to fight the tranny battle as well, because mm. just being transgender to certain people means that we must be complete sluts. Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and especially those who think that transgender people are cross-dressers or, you know, doing it in a sexual manner for sexual purposes. Well, here's an example for you. Okay, so the, the sex shop that I'm working at, um, you know, of course, yes, sex, blah, 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 and stuff like that. And it's, it's a double-edged sword because not only do I get to educate people on what's in the store and what's good and bad and stuff like that, but I also get to develop some... Um, training modules for some of the shows and the lecture circuit that we do. But uh, so th- this guy came in the other day, um, construction worker, and I'm not, I, I am going to say construction worker because there seems to be this sort of mentality with construction workers. They're highly sexual, aggressive individuals. And uh, next thing I know, he's asking me if I want to see his cock, and there we go. And he's in the change room pulling down his pants and jerking his dick and pulling up his oh. shirt for me as I'm, of course, proverbially sucking on a lollipop that we have in a big bowl there, <laughs> watching him with my eyes transfixed and wide-eyed. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a really bad porno movie. But um, he's like, oh, you want to get down and suck it, don't you? And I'm like, um, well, yeah, I do, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm at work here, okay? <laughs> you need to pull those pants up and you need to get out of here. And he's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. You know, but that shit like that happens to me all the time. And, and that's, I, that's actually what kind of, that's how I feel. Because it's like, <laughs> this is my business. <laughs> and here we are in my business doing the art thing. And then suddenly comes somebody pull, pulls down their pants and I'm like, oh. Yeah. I, I, it's it makes... kind of working right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, as much as I think it's funny at the same time, I think, are you taking me seriously here? Because I am serious about the work that I'm doing here. This needs to be taken to another time. I mean, I know a lot of individuals who would have hightailed it over to that front door and locked it and put back in five minutes on the front there. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I've gotten up to enough stuff in my life. I'm not going to do it at my place of work and jeopardize it. And I did tell my boss a story too, and he laughed his ass off. And he's like, no big surprises there. So, I mean, obviously your friends and your family are all cool with everything else and you obviously laid your cards out for the world to see in a manner of speaking um how were they in the beginning of that it was definitely a long long road coming from that small town and and that's probably what restricted me from doing all of what i wanted to do Mm -hmm. with myself i mean if i had been allowed to just be 
and, right. and grow up and do what I wanted to do. I would have transitioned by now. I would be living full time as a woman, no doubt, because it was a strong impulse throughout my entire teens up to about probably like 21, 23. And, uh, but I came out to my mother as, as first as bi, which was devastating <laughs> to be bisexual. No. Why is that one such a taboo? It's, it's, I, it seems to be I, worse than being gay or whatever. It seemed you know? to be because I thought I, that's why I said bye, because I thought it would be the most vanilla way to go. Because I figured, well, mom, you know, I like to have sex with guys, but maybe I'll get married to a woman, you know, that sort of thing. And then that didn't work out. She was still devastated. A couple of years later, I said I was gay. Then she, she weeped hysterically on, on the edge of my bed for three hours and said, don't tell your father, it'll kill him. And so I, so <laughs> But I let me be the judge of that, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> I know. And, and that was the, what really, I mean, I respected my mother's opinion. We were, we were good friends in a way. We're, we're much better friends now. But I believed her. And I probably... That's one thing that I would give as advice to people coming out is mm -hmm. don't always believe those who you trust when they tell you not to tell anybody else. Mm -hmm. Because, and I always told her that was, I think you're wrong. I think dad would be okay. I think grandpa would be okay. And she'd say, nope, absolutely not. They will disown you. You will be the laughing stock. Funny do how it. it's mothers that seem to do that because mine did the same thing. She was, oh, don't tell your father and don't blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And my mother was also really seriously good at guilt tripping. And I called her on it one day. Of course, we didn't speak for six months after that. <laughs> but she ended up coming around and she knew that I wasn't going to put up with that crap anymore. It was just like, you know what? Enough of your game playing, mom, because... You know, I, I, you brought me up to be you know, decisive, well-educated, and having an opinion of my own. I'm, I'm not your child anymore that is six years old running around the neighborhood freaking out, right? And, and so I just went from one to the other. I didn't tell many people of, of, of who I was or what I felt like uh, and, at all. And I kind of escaped that small Pennsylvania town without coming out. Um, of course, I, I mean, I don't know how they couldn't figure it out themselves because... Mm -hmm. Um, at that time, I, I had the website. I wasn't very stealth with it. I was stealth with myself in public life, but not with, you know, if anyone could have just Googled back then like they do now, it would have all been out. <laughs> and, Let me guess. Uh, did you have people and family and friends telling you, well, we always knew? Yes. When I finally, you know, when it hit the fan, because someone finally, I had moved out. I was in L.A., I don't even remember what year it was, but it was way after I left that my, my most favorite aunt called and she said, just so you know, uh, one of your cousins Googled and found something that uh, I think you didn't tell us about. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I could attest to that one too. It's just like you know, the guy that I'm currently with and in for the long haul with, as far as I'm concerned, you know, up at his uh, his sister's place and his brother in law coming up to us at the dinner table of all places saying, Oh, and he brought out, um, you know, my partner's play name and just right there at the dinner table. And I'm like, Oh my God! Did you, what did, you, did you just go and do a Google search or something like that? And of course, you got to the bouncy bow bow sites and found some stuff. And I'm like, "You fucker! You know, really?" And this is, a, and he was quite serious about the conversation with us. So I'm kind of like, "All right, it's out there. I'm making money off of it." And you went and looked at it. That's your issue, not mine. Right. And that's pretty much where it went. Was I mean, my aunt, my aunt was really the only family, other family than my immediate parents, who I cared about. So they all said, you know, they love me, they accept me, they don't give a shit. And everybody else, I have no idea as far as how they reacted because she told me they found it, but and that they were surprised and they were they would not stop talking about it, which of course is very much small town family. But they never contacted me. They never told me they accepted me. They never said they didn't accept me, and I've not ever been back. I don't think I ever will be back. Uh, because of that, because there right. is no communication. I don't know how safe or unsafe it would be. Um, and it really is up in the air as to how they would right. react. That's why I never let them know. So such, it, it just kind of, I have no idea what they think. You have such parallels between your life and my life. I mean, my aunt was the one who actually first found my dominatrix ad. And this is going back ooh, probably about... Uh, 18 years mm -hmm. now and she, just by laying out a magazine on the table at my house 
She came in with it and just threw it on the table and proceeded to help carry on a regular conversation with me. And I'm like, oh, shit, you, <laughs> you know. You, and then she opens it up and says, how much do you pay for that ad? Which happened to be a three-quarter page ad. Huge <laughs> picture right in your face. And there I was. And I'm like, um, okay, before I answer that question, you need to tell me why it is you have this magazine in your possession, first of all, yourself. Yeah. And uh, so then we got talking from there. And she, <laughs> she was cool. And the rest of the family seemed to be... Well, they were all cool with it. I mean, the rest of my family, they, they knows exactly what it is that I'm up to and what I do. I don't care anymore. It's just like, um, I'm, I'm not going to hide what my life is all about, only because I was forced to deal with that early on in my whole transition and stuff like that. Um, I honestly and truthfully thought that I was going to be probably living a white picket fence world. And that didn't happen that way because I was thrust into being sort of an advocate and dealing with trans issues and things like that. And I kind of really embraced it. You know, I was very shy about different things. And um, so what how were you in the beginning of all this? I mean, were you shy? Were you this? And now you seem like you've kind of embraced everything. And what is the future going to hold for you? I was pretty, pretty open always as far as being the artist D mm -hmm. to people. I was very open. In personal life, I, I grew up very shy. I was a stutterer for most, wow. of, most of my young life. I couldn't put string two sentences together or two words together. Uh, I was terrible. I was, I was terrified of people and, and of, of crowds. Holy. <laughs> and here, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would never have guessed that. Never. It, it, it was totally... I, I have done everything backwards and, and, and as far as how I got into things because I was the public advocate, public figure, uh, you know, online to the masses with all these people looking at me and talking to me and getting okay adjusted with that and then bringing it into my personal life. You know, most people start the other way around. Right. And I've, I, the, the artist D completely helped me in my personal life and in my careers and endeavors because I, I have done public speaking, both male and female, and, and I'm, I've managed things and companies. And I would never have been able to do that if I didn't first grow into the role of the artist D and, and be that advocate for everything. And I was always a freak. I was always unique. And I wanted people to know that. Even when, because I was totally bullied throughout school and, and childhood and, mm -hmm. and repressed, and yet I just, I, I couldn't, I could not conform ever, no matter how much I knew that that would be the better thing to do, just do the white picket fence thing and, and be normal and be happy and be accepted. I just couldn't give in. And I just kept going as me and, and I kept pushing, you know, that. And now here I am and I'm thinking people need, especially after doing this for so long, people need to know and realize who they really are and stand up for themselves and know that there is someone just like them and that being a freak is not all that unique. We're all freaks. Yeah. You just have to know it. Yeah, well, it's interesting you use the word term, the freak, because that was my nickname in high school. And I, <clears throat> I, I became... Um, I grew to accept that and own it. And as you said, to become unique in that aspect of it. And I really did own it. I, I, it's like, yeah, you're calling me freak. So what? I get it. I understand that. And it's like the same when someone says to me, you pervert. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a pervert and I'm going to own that one too. It's the, it's the only part of my horoscope. I'm a Leo that, that I believe, you know, I am so self-absorbed and I love myself so much. And I've always loved myself from birth, right. no matter what people told me that I couldn't be convinced that what I loved was wrong. Mm -hmm. I had to be me. Awesome. And relationships, past and present, they're good for you, easy to deal with, or have they been challenging? They're extremely challenging because of the artistry. Right. Because, they, and I've found with, with both, I'm in my second marriage now, uh, husband number two. Ooh. And, and it's going, it went well. It, it's but we're we're morphing into different things as we go along, which is great. I mean, to to stay in a relationship, you need to change together. I think we all do, yeah. And and that's what makes it work, and that's what makes it not work is one person stays the same, the other person changes always. But a lot, both I, I realized in in all of my relationships and marriages, that was the main topic of discussion: is well, who are you? Are mm. you the artist D or mm. are you D? And I couldn't explain it. And, and I talked to Peaches Christ, a drag queen in San Francisco uh -huh. on my show, who, who put it perfectly, that we cannot be our persona. We cannot let that affect us. And I think that I was becoming completely the artist D. 
and and letting you know and that's what she said that struck me was if you do that you're only as good as your last show right and that's how i was feeling was my last show was who i was and it just that was what i was being judged on and after that i was nothing and when i got married the second time i was so concerned about that i took a year off from radio and, and most of my art to figure out who was I? Because I, I didn't stop being the artist D since I was 13, 14. And there I was about 25, 26. And, and I, I never took time to really figure out who I was without the public. Hmm. And that really helped me disconnect from this and realize the answer was I am both. But my character, like I told you, my character is what yeah. it is, male or female. I am who I am, and, and it is the artist D. I, I agree, and one thing I would say is that without without one, there wouldn't be the other kind of thing right. for me. Um, so, you're, well, you sound really grounded now and moving towards the future, so what can we look forward to? We've got, uh, hopefully, a lot. I want to grow old and fabulous for the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> exactly. Being the artist. I would like to move to a much less noisy place. I have... I have been in cities. I've been in all the, the major cities, I think, Atlanta, Las Vegas, L.A., San Diego, and Phoenix. And I've lived in all of them for periods of time. And I have just been droned to death with this population and this noise and the city life. I need the quiet. I need to focus and, and, and slow down to work harder on my art. Awesome. Well, I mean, I hope before you, you know, you split Las Vegas, I mean, I hope to see you down there because I'm looking forward to a trip down there sometime soon in the near future. So be ready to be part of the whole droning thing down there. You know, I want to drag your ass out. Absolutely. (laughs) That'd be really fun. Well, babe, this has been really, really, really awesome. And I really want to get inside your mind and find out what's going on. I think a lot of my listeners do, too. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'm going to let you go. And uh, this has been just brilliant uh, just goosebumps and fun and everything else wonderful and, uh, and, and both the the artistd.com and for culture magazine are my my two outlets right yes. now I'm yeah. i want people to know how to get a hold of you so um awesome and the fact that you're here on out loud shows too with I am. the artist d don't forget that and i think right. it's important that all of us as hosts on this program need to uh talk to each other and get our crossover going on of our listeners absolutely well i certainly adore you and thank you so much thanks sweetie and uh, you have yourself a great day and we'll talk to you again soon you too thanks so much Uh, you're welcome bye babe bye transonic my world of professional domination and private because that's what I'm about. So, you know, when I started off doing different things, there was no books out there, and there were no mentors that were around at the time for me to understand different things. And some of the things that I got into just seemed to happen organically. And one of them happened to be foot fetishism. Well, I wasn't exactly clear on the idea of what that was all about, nor was I actually sure about having someone attend to my feet in the manner that they did. But I can tell you, Once they did, I got into it pretty damn fast. And how that happened for me the first time around, well, I was at a fetish night and uh, standing up against the bar ordering my next cocktail. And my feet were starting to burn by this time. But you know what? I guess that's one of my own little fetishes as well as having my feet burn, burn in high heels because it gives a whole crazy new sensation, the hotness running through my feet, the tingles, the sensations moving up my legs and letting them burn, baby, burn and keeping them crammed into those shoes because by now they're starting to swell and they're starting to press up against those shoes, giving me some serious toe cleavage. Yes, the toe cleavage that happens right where the crack of your big toe meets your next toe and it shows and it goes right into that shoe, much like what happened when you're looking at someone with really nice, juicy boobs. Most guys know what that's all about, and so do most women. Anyway, as I'm standing there at the bar with my feet underneath and I'm starting to rub my toe cleavage with the heel of my other foot, I feel this hand gently start caressing my leg from the knee downward. And as I look down, I see this eager young gentleman looking up at me asking, Mistress, may I? Well, I wasn't quite exactly sure what that was all about, so I said yes. 
I'm watched. And I said, if there's anything that I'm going to get you to stop doing, I'll tell you and I'll let you know. Understood, mistress. As his hand slowly slid down my thigh. Actually, I lied. He was up a little higher on my leg than just at the knee. But I didn't mind. So he went down, 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 past my knee, over my calf. And as he was doing so, he was digging his thumbs in there really nice and deep, massaging those muscles on my sore, tired calves. He slowly went further down, over my ankles. And as he was over my ankles, I saw his hands gently caress those shoes, my patent leather, five-inch slingback stilettos, and super pointed toe. His hands moved artfully over those shoes, back and forth, up underneath the arch of my foot, underneath that shoe, caressing them. And then my foot was brought close to his mouth. He opened his mouth over the point of my shoe. He put that shoe into his mouth, and he made sure his lips were wet and moist. And he made sure that I got a nice, serious toe job with those shoes in his mouth, deep into his mouth, Wow, that was a sensation that just went up the back of my leg, up my back, over my head, and I had never felt that before, and I loved it. I knew I was getting into something that I was just going to be enjoying more and more and more as time went on. He slowly took my shoe out of his mouth, and as he took out his tongue out of his mouth, he licked the bottom of the soles of my shoes all over, back and forth to the toe of my shoe, back up into the arch, up towards the heel, and down the heel to the point where he was now with the point of my heel at his mouth. He closed his mouth. He pursed those lips, and he gently put that heel into his mouth, and he wrapped his lips ever so tightly around that heel and made it so moist and wet. It was the best heel job I had seen Ever. And I knew this was going to be the start of something really good with this individual because I was going to open up that door for him to give me further heel jobs. Well, after he'd finished massaging that shoe with his mouth and his hands, he slowly slid it off, but not before asking if it was okay to do that. And as he did that, he pulled that shoe off so slowly. And as his hands caressed my now weary, tired, really swollen feet. He was digging in good and deep with those fingers, in particular his thumbs, underneath the ball of my feet, underneath the heel, underneath the ball, the arch, the ankles, the toes, in between my toes. He was forcing my stockings apart so he could get his fingers between my toes and massage every ounce of it. Well, next up was his mouth. Yes, his mouth. He put my toes into that mouth of his, and boy, did he make them wet. That tongue of his was moving feverishly across my toes. My toes, which were now considered to be grapes, grapes that he was moving around in his mouth effortlessly. Oh, I'm getting so worked up, I can't even speak. And that's exactly what I was all about, standing at the bar there with my drink that I lightly spilled across the bar because, wow, that was a whole new sensation as he took his tongue and he ran it up the bottom of my foot, through my arch, over the heel, over my ankles, and around, and continued to massage. And when he was done with that, he slowly and gently put that shoe back onto my foot and got on the business of the other foot. Transmissions News from around the world Some good, some not so good And if you want to listen, listen in There's some crazy shit coming up So, in the past, the recent past There's been a lot of stuff going on There's been a lot of murders happening And I don't know why And I don't know what the hell's going on But, uh Listen in. So, second transgender woman in Chicago within the last four months. A transgender teenager in Chicago has been found stabbed to death just four months after another trans woman was murdered nearby. The 19-year-old was found dead in an abandoned building in the South City South Austin neighborhood, reported CBS Chicago. Tiffany Gooden is the second black transgender woman to be murdered in the area in the last two months. Paige Clay was shot to death in an alley three blocks away, and according to trans activist Joy Morris, the two women were friends. 
June Latrobe from Illinois Gender Advocates told CBS that transgender women of color are most vulnerable members of our community. She added that trans women often face seemingly insurmountable obstacles, Latrobe added. Here is someone murdered for simply being themselves. It gets frustrating, doesn't even quite put it. However, police investigating the murders don't believe the two crimes are related. Well, bullshit. Um, Human Rights Commission's demands Columbia investigate gender identity discrimination murders. Another one. See what I mean? There's a lot of them going on. I don't know why. Anyway, here's one of a little bit fun and note. Um, Plenty of men and women interested in dating trans men. Buck Angel has launched BuckAngelDating.com, a safe environment for those seeking out relationships or just fun with trans men and people who love them. The female-to-male FTM adult performer wrote in an article for the Huffington Post, Much of the correspondent I've received from FTMs expressed sadness and despair as these men felt it was unlikely that they would ever meet a partner. Angel, who has spoken at universities and talks shows in the U.S. and U.K. about his life and work as a trans man, has been nominated for several awards in the adult film industry for his films, and I suggest that you check it out. He's really quite, you know, out there and amazing. He launched FuckAngelDating.com because there was still no special dating site catering to the unique needs of trans men. Angel wrote, By having it all out in the open on this niche site, there is finally a place to go looking. Gender has been undergoing a transformation that I didn't see coming. This created some interesting challenges with the usual format of a dating website. We're still working on the kinds, and as gender fluidity comes into its own, there will be more options down the line. As part of his education advocacy efforts, Buck Angel has participated in workshops, seminars, and speaking engagements, and has produced a documentary named Sexing the Trans Men, and I've seen bits and pieces of that, and I highly suggest that you have a look at it when it does come out, which is going to be very soon. The overriding theme of the work is about self-love and acceptance, and showing that trans men are indeed sexy and desirable. Buck Angel is married to Elaine Angel, a body piercer and body modification enthusiast. Transistor with your host, Velvet Steel.